Welcome to Global Chit Chat, the podcast that helps you navigate the global employee benefits landscape. My name is Leticia, and I will be your host. And in this episode, we will dive deeply into the do's and don'ts of managing your globally mobile populations, also known as expats. And I'm Francis, today's fun fact checker, and together we take you on a benefits journey around the world. So let's get started. With us today, we have Melissa Rannells. Melissa leads Aon's Globally Mobile Employees Center of Excellence, and she has unique insight into today's topic. Thanks for being with us, Melissa. Thanks, Leticia. I'm happy to be here. As you know, we always start our podcast with some fun facts about the topic. So Francis has been very busy trying to connect globally mobile employees and expat plans to some fun statistics. Do you want to hear what he came up with? Of course I do. Francis, what do you have for us? Yes, I do have some interesting findings to share with you. Let's start by refreshing your Latin. The word expatriate comes from the Latin terms ex, which means out of, and patria, which means native country. In the Oxford Dictionary, you'll find the following definition. A person who lives outside their native country. So where do expats live? Even though the Middle East offers amazing benefits to talents from abroad, it seems that Western Europe is still considered as the best place to work. Switzerland, in particular, was voted as the best place to work at by expats. And there's no wonder, a country with amazing nature and mountains, multicultural environment, and the average yearly salary for expats is over €160,000. Also, on average, people in Switzerland took five weeks of holidays. What's there not to like? Some more stats. Expats are on average 43 years old, the gender ratio is fairly even split between 53% males and 47% females. Overall, they are well educated, with 4 in 5 either holding a bachelor degree or master's degree. About the number of expats worldwide, numbers vary a lot based on the source. An interesting one I found is the following. If all expats would form a human chain, it would circle the earth once. That's 40,000 kilometers. Amazing. Thank you for these fun facts, Francis. The things you learn in this podcast never cease to amaze me. So I have a confession to make. When I learned about this topic, I was super excited because I've been a global consultant for 20 plus years, and I always feel like I learn something new every time I bring an expat subject matter expert into my client conversations. But before we dive into some of the complexities of managing globally mobile employees, I want to ask you, Melissa, why did you choose to become an expert in the expat space? What excites you about this type of work? Well, call me a benefits nerd, but I think the expat world has so many interesting elements. There's cost, compliance, cross-border coverage. They all present unique opportunities to help clients optimize and manage their programs. There are as many solutions as there are clients. So here I am enjoying every minute of the expat world. And we are very lucky to have you. Now, help me get one question out of the way. I've heard globally mobile employees referred to as rotators, TCNs, global nomads, international assignees, impacts. I know that each one of these terms means something different, but what does it all boil down to? There are so many nuanced categories, depending on the host country, where the policyholder is located, the duration of the assignment, the business intent of the population. And what really brings them all together and makes these populations unique is that they're people working outside their home country and they need more than just a local health plan in their country of citizenship. And do companies tend to have a handful of expats or hundreds of them? 
And more importantly, at what size does it make sense for a company to engage an expert to help manage the benefits for these populations? That's a great question. Companies can have as few as two expats to more than 2,000. The numbers are really going to vary based on each company's mobility strategy. Our team manages self-insured clients with thousands of expats around the world, but we also manage clients with 10 or 20 expats. And similar to the largest programs, the small programs are critical to the business of our clients. So while the approaches to financing and plan design may differ, we're able to fully support both of those situations. And for your other question about what size makes the most sense to engage an expert, the thing to keep in mind is that it's not about size. The goal is to make sure your programs, whatever size they are, are actively managed with your business goals in mind. So what does actively managing an expat plan mean? What does that entail? So actively managing is making sure you're monitoring your plans. The cost, the plan design, the carrier. Of course, you want to make sure that your plans are reviewed annually and the price is appropriate. But also make sure you look at the benchmark and your plan design regularly. Look at the carrier market to make sure you have the right partner. Ensure you're meeting all the evolving compliance requirements. Know about the new product offerings as the population dynamics change and your mobilities programs might evolve. For example, there's a rising demand for coverage for international remote workers where people are requesting to go and work outside their home country, not on an official company-sponsored assignment, but for personal reasons. So how do you, the employer, make sure these employees are covered and how does it fit into your overall program? That makes a great deal of sense. So let me ask you about a concept that I'm frequently asked about, and that is localizing benefits for expats. There is the impression that placing an expat on a local plan in the country hosting that expat is enough to meet their benefits needs. Based on your experience, why do expats need a different type of, let's call it, international plans? And why aren't local plans appropriate for that population? So depending on the country that they're working in, there may be pre-existing condition limits or limits on certain types of coverage or some kinds of coverages may be excluded altogether. Also, they may have little or no coverage when they go back home for a visit. For example, on a standard U.S. plan, anything outside the U.S. is considered out of network and will have significantly lower coverage or might be limited to emergency-only coverage. And so employees going on a home visit might not have the ability to do things like get preventive care or get maintenance medication, which can be very frustrating for employees and leave some pretty big gaps in care. And quite honestly, these are not employees the company wants distracted by problems. They've likely invested a lot of time and money into ensuring a successful assignment. You want to make sure that they and their family have care wherever they are in the world, and you want to make it easy for them so that they can focus on their new assignment. Earlier in this conversation, Melissa, you mentioned compliance. And we know how important compliance is with benefits in general, right? However, I don't think that many employers appreciate the level of exposure they have when offering benefits to their expat populations. Can you help our listeners understand why compliance is so important? And can you give us a few examples of where things could become a challenge for them? Expat benefits are not exempt from compliance requirements by any means. Some topics we come across are things like minimum health care to buy, multiple plan roles in Saudi Arabia, reciprocal agreements in Australia, differing requirements by Canton and Switzerland, and I'm just getting started. There are plenty more where that came from. In fact, we just inherited a client that had paid a $35,000 penalty in Australia because they were out of compliance. So I think the takeaway for your listeners is that the risk is real and there can be some unpleasant financial implications if you don't have the right guidance. Besides what we've already talked about, how else do international medical plans support globally mobile employees? What things do you think our employers are not thinking about? 
in my opinion, one of the elements of international medical plans that doesn't get its fair share of airtime is the pre-deployment assessment. This is where employees complete information, usually online, about their current health and the health of their family before they leave. It might not sound important, but imagine arriving to a new assignment. You've packed your stuff, you've moved your life around the world, only to get there and find out that the class of your kid's ADHD medication is not available in that country. Or worse, it's illegal and you have to throw it all away at the airport. Then you have to drop everything and go through the process of immediately finding a new local doctor, an alternative medication, and everything that that entails. The pre-deployment assessment helps employees identify if there's any prescriptions they need to stock up on or work through any substitutions with the guidance of their current physician before starting their new adventure. It's one less thing for them to have to think about once they hit the ground. And that is always something that we appreciate. This conversation has been very, very enlightening. And as I said at the beginning, I learn something new every time I talk with an expat subject matter expert. So thank you so much for being our guest and for sharing all of your knowledge with us. You're welcome. It's been delightful to chat with you. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Please leave a review or share your comments on social media. And don't forget to join us on our next episode of Global Chit Chat to learn more about Canada.